0: Let's pray together. Father, to You be all the glory, for You alone are worthy of our praise. We look to Christ, our perfect example of One who entirely overflowed with the fruit of the Spirit. We pray, Lord, in this moment, that you would help us, that your spirit, power, and presence would be among us, that you would quicken my mind and open my mouth to speak and open our ears and hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. May our hearts draw near to you in and through your word this morning. Teach us, O Lord, and help us to be fruitful Christians for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to begin right in our passage. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's in Galatians chapter 5. It's going to be verse 22 and 23, and I believe we have uh, the slide for you, the, the easy one at, at first, and we'll say it together. Galatians five, twenty-two and 23 but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I think we're going to have it a little bit harder for you. Let's say it again, Galatians 5, through 23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Do we have one more harder one? Oh boy. All right, Galatians 5:22 through23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Great job, church. Well, that was a that one was a hard one. And so, when we come to the when we come to the fruit of the spirit, we can we can think of these things as a. Oh, it is a list, but it's a list of characteristic traits, uh, characteristics of the genuine Christian. Uh, These fruits are the supernatural result of the indwelling Spirit in your life. These are fruits we have to understand that you cannot and that you will not genuinely be able to bear in your life without the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that is generating these fruits of the new life in you. So this morning, the plan that I have for us is to briefly uh, examine these fruits. Kind of like beautiful gems in the heart of the believer. So imagine, if you will, we have just entered the finest of jewelry stores, and the jeweler has brought out a case of precious gems. And let us hold each one of these fruits like a jewel up into the light and examine, examine them for their particular and unique beauty. We begin with love. And when we consider the spiritual fruit of love, we have to consider the meaning of the word. Because we often abuse the word love. We say things like, I love that dress, or I love that restaurant, or I love chocolate, or I love to read or play games, or I love to exercise, but that part's not true. I should love to exercise, but I don't love to exercise. But we say this kind of word when we say love. We just, we just kind of throw that word around. We even say that we love things that are sinful. We, we in, our, we in our next breath, uh, we'll say that we love our, our spouse or we, or we love our children. We've used that word so that it can mean anything or, 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 or perhaps nothing at all. But the word here in Galatians 5 is Agape. Agape is the kind of love that it requires a response. Agape love is a love that that is an outward expression. Agape love is the kind of love that that God the Father has for us in sending His Son. I was here last time a few months back, and we looked at John 3.16, For God so loved, that's agape. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. He so loved that He acted on our behalf. Paul speaks of this kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13, the, the great love chapter of, uh, of the Scripture. And, and he describes this kind of love uh, that Christ shows us that, that we too should also emulate in our lives. And 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And if you remember, Jesus, he taught us the greatest commands of the Scripture is love love for god with all of our heart and then love for our neighbor uh, those those people that god has placed uh, around us regardless of their their nationality or skin color or political affiliation or religious creed we we aren't to condone the sins but we are to love the sinner our our faith also calls us to not just see someone that's suffering uh, but to reach out this kind of a love that acts with a helping hand. The, the church has, has traditionally been the body of, of believers that reach out to a group of people in, in need and, and help them. They see a community faced with disaster. Or the love that we need to uh, share with those around us, the life-bringing gospel truth of Jesus, r- redemption and hope and forgiveness and salvation that's offered through Christ to a world that's very dark and lost and and hopeless we have this kind of love that we must share as the church to the world around us and for time's sake we've got to move quickly so we'll move to joy and joy so consider this what's the difference between happiness and joy because the world is seeking happiness Right? That's, that's the world's goal is to find happiness. but there's a problem with happiness because happiness uh, it depends on what happens. Now happiness is a product of external circumstances. It, it's a momentary and, and somewhat fleeting sensation based on, based on what's going on, uh, what's going on around us. But joy instead is an attitude of the heart. It's a choice. It's a mindset. it's a it's a, state of, it's a state of being. It's not determined by external circumstances, but uh, persists even and through the trials and tribulations of this life. Joy is a mark of the Holy Spirit in your heart. It is an inner, internal overflow of Christ in you, even though in troubled times we can have joy because we have hope in something much more, something much greater. There's, 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 there's temporary struggles that we face in life, but there's an eternal reward that we look ahead to, and that gives us the ability to have joy. Hebrews twelve two says, "...looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy that was set among Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne." Of God. What was the joy that was set before Him that would cause Him to endure such suffering? It was a redeeming of people for His eternal glory, purchasing with His redeeming blood sinners like you and me. Have you considered that the Lord Jesus rejoices in you, in your salvation? And I can tell you that you know, sometimes Christians get a bad rap for having a sour disposition, and I can surely say that I've been also been guilty uh, from time to time of not showing and having the joy that I know that I ought, and, and when I and when I see that, it reminds me of Paul and Silas in Acts 16, because Paul and Silas had been, they had been attacked in Philippi. They had been beaten with rods, and the Bible says with many blows. Uh, they were thrown into the inner cell of a deep, dark Prison, and they were chained there by their feet, and they and they would have been bloody and sore. They would have been cold and hungry, and you would expect them to be outraged. You would expect them to be upset about their unfair and the pitiless treatment that they had received. They they would be incensed and, and and enraged about the the poor accommodations and the just the sheer lack of justice that had happened to them. But no. If you remember the story, they were instead filled with joy, having been counted, get this, worthy of suffering for the name of Christ. And they begin to sing, and they begin to pray, and they have a worship service right there in the pit of that prison. Joy is a choice. We can look past the immediate Uh, happenstance of our lives in this fallen world in a society that's destined for destruction that much is plain and we can see instead the the grace and mercy and glory of God in and through all of that filling us with hope of a future trusting in God who who knows us who has us by the hand who will see us through and will one day set all things right and make all things new we aren't crazy we believe we trust that the Lord is in charge. He is in control. We are not short-sighted. We are not careless, but instead we'll have joy in the light of all that God has to come for us eternally. Joy forevermore. And that brings us to peace. The joy of the Lord is connected to our peace so Paul, right, after this incident, they begin the church in Philippi, and then later he writes back to the church, the Philippian church. And he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace of truly knowing who you are and whose you are. Paul would write to the Romans in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified with, by faith, we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ this is the peace that only comes when you are in right relationship with your god who created you we were at war with god we were at enmity with god we were rebels against the great king of kings and lord of lords yet he offers us peace an end of hostility an entrance to the kingdom and a return to right standing before him through the work of Christ. And we have this peace and confidence that we are now fully known and not alone. We know and we understand that God is guiding and directing each and every step of our lives as his children. I can remember uh, coming to faith late in life. And I can remember before Christ, before believing in Jesus the scariest thought that I could think of would be that if God existed. Because if God existed, then he would have a lot to say about some of the life decisions that I had been making in my life, and I have a lot to answer to. But now, as a believer, I think that far and away the much more scarier thought is that God wouldn't exist, and that we would be somehow on our, lo- on our own and, and, and alone. That's a much far much more terrifying thought. But this is the peace that we have from knowing God and knowing, this, knowing Him through the indwelling Spirit uh, in, in our heart. This is the peace that He extends through us, that we know that we are His. We know He is there. We can sense, we can feel His presence. We have His words and His promises. We know that we've been forgiven. We, we know that we have peace. The enmity with God it has been ended. And so, as Christians... Having peace with God, we must therefore also make peace with those around us. Paul says in Romans 12, Repay no one evil for evil. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let us as Christians make all efforts to have peace with our family, with our neighbors. And yes, we're called to have peace even with those that would be counted as our enemies. And that brings us to Patience, and patience is, it's a forbearance, it's a, it's a holding back of your wrath, and some of us will be better, you know, at these than others, uh, I confess this is another one, that uh, patience is, you know, one that I often uh, struggle with, and there's probably more of you that they can, they can say, yes, I, I understand that one as, as well, uh, but, but often, and, and especially with those that are closest to us, right? We, we get primed with those continual same old aggravations to just quickly lose our, our patience and lose our, our temper with those. James 1, he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But aren't we often just the opposite? We are slow to hear, we're quick to speak, and we're instant to anger. We should instead hear the other person out and not assume the worst in them, but assume the best. And then we should think carefully, prayerfully, on how and what to say and how to respond. And we should hold back anger by the cover of godly love and the power of the Spirit in us. The Bible teaches that the patient person is the wise person. Proverbs 14, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man promotes folly. Or Proverbs 16, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Becoming, it's becoming more and more popular. Maybe you've noticed uh, in, in our culture that uh, the culture has begun to believe that emotionalism uh, equals sincerity. You know, if you the more you show your feelings of anger and frustration, the more right and true that you must be to self and, and of the issues. But actually, the Bible tells us that it takes a much, much stronger person to control their anger and to have patience. Any any fool, if we're thinking of the book of Proverbs, any fool can lash out when offended by others with their own quick and hurtful and inflammatory remarks, but it takes this deep inner reserve of patience and long-suffering to hold back your anger and remain patient. But I want to ask you, aren't you glad that God has been patient with you? I mean, how many times has he shown you patience when you didn't deserve it? How many times has he extended you grace and forgiveness when you've offended him yet again and again, time after time, with those old, same old, rebellious and stubborn and stubborn sins. How patient was he with you, allowing you time to repent and to come to Christ? How patient he is, even with unbelievers, allowing them time to come and repent. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I mean, I think of. Adam and Eve in the garden—the classic, uh, the classic example. He, God says, "Don't eat the fruit, or you'll surely die." Of course, they sin and disobey, and God comes, and He may have just—you know—He could have just destroyed them and just started over, you know, right then. But God, uh, God uh, comes, and He covers them in their nakedness, and He promised them right in that moment of a Savior to come to rescue them from their th- sins. Or just think of the Old Testament. How time after time after time God's people, Israel, sinned and fell away, and how he would bring them back into a right standing. He is patient with us. We also must be patient with those around us. That brings us to kindness and goodness. Well, these are these are somewhat synonymous. I'd like to take them together. You know, Paul, in his epistle to Titus Uh, He urges us to be good to others, kind to others. Uh, In in Titus 3, he says, Don't speak evil about one another. Don't, Don't fight and argue and quarrel, but show courtesy to those that are around you. Why? Well, in Titus 3, verse 3, he says, Because we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. It, it, it sounds like a report from the nightly news. But the Bible says that's who you once were. But you've been changed. You've been made new. God has called you out of that. But we can turn on the TV and we can see that kind of attitude and response of, un, of unloving and, and, and wickedness. Each, each and every day, there's a, there's a whole uh, fallen world that's bent on seeking their own pleasure and their own desires and, uh, and their own self-promotion and the hating of others and the hostility uh, to anything that would be uh, pertaining to goodness and kindness and righteousness and godliness. But Paul says there in verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God showed us mercy when we least deserved it. How much then should we show the same goodness and kindness to those around us, whether in the church or not? If God wants to show goodness and kindness, can't we too, as Christians, show others goodness and kindness? Now, I, I sort of have a confession. I, I sometimes like musicals. Is there anyone that likes? Is it just me? One. I got one. Well, let use my one. Two. Okay, two. Well, I got two. Well, uh, about 20 years ago, I went and saw Les Mis in, in in London. It was a wonderful time. I had yet to come to Christ. If anyone has anyone seen that musical, Les, you seen it? Yeah. I had yet to come to Christ in that moment. And, and there's a lot of allusions to the gospel, to God in this, in this musical. And I remember this amazing scene of kindness that was right there at sort of the beginning uh, of, the, of the musical. It's the part where, where Jean Valjean is. He's released from prison. And he's been in prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. Uh, and so this this we we see this overbearing punishment that he faces for this for the crime of, of basically being hungry and, and having to steal something to, to fill his his belly. And so he gets out of prison after all of this time, and immediately he's finding himself hungry and destitute. Again, there's been no provision made for him. And and if you remember, there's the kind bishop. He's one of the characters in in the musical. The kind bishop. He's a Christian minister. He invites Jean Valjean into his home, and, and he offers him a meal, and he tells him to stay He stay the night. He feeds him. He cares for him. He shows him kindness and goodness. But if you remember, Jean, in the middle of the night, he gets up, and he steals all the silver plates from the bishop's home, and he runs away, and he's quickly arrested, and they bring him back to the minister. And what we, we, we expect the minister to accuse him and to say, you know, you're a, you're a thief and you should be thrown right back into the prison, but that's not what happens. The minister instead surprises everyone when he says, oh no, that silver was a gift. And friend, you forgot the candlesticks also that I gave you. And, and that moment of kindness, right, was to so, so understand was the first real mercy that this character had been given and it shocks him it it like goes off like a bomb in his life his entire outlook on life changes from that point forward and he begins to walk in accordance to showing kindness and goodness and mercy to everyone he encounters in his life and i want to tell you that's a picture of the gospel right there the mercy and kindness and undeserved love from god to a wretched and unworthy sinner This is is radical mercy. This is radical kindness. This is unexpected goodness. This is unexplainable love in worldly terms. terms. It can only be from God. And when we as Christians also show this kind of kindness and goodness, it is otherworldly. It's the supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit working through us. And that brings us to faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is not so much here, anyways. It's not so much about having faith in God, although that's essential, right? But it's instead uh, for us to reflect something of the faithfulness of God, right? Jesus said, if you remember, not a single jot or tittle, right? Not a dash, a dot, or a comma will fall away from God's word until all is accomplished, right? Right? Well, friends, we must understand that we can count on the Word of God. Every word, every promise, every statement, every commitment, every vow, every pledge that God has ever spoken will be done. We can count on it. You can take it to the bank. You can trust it. You you, you can and you must take your entire life on the truth of faithfulness the promises of God. And God is the standard of faithfulness. You as a disciple of Christ, as, a, as an adopted child of the King of Kings, must also be able to be relied on. We, we as Christians must also be dependable, loyal. Uh, we as Christians must be trustworthy, trustworthy. If you say you're going to do something, we as Christians ought to do it. If we say, uh, if we give our word, we as Christians better keep it. Why? We're made in His image. God our Father always keeps His word. He is growing us in Christ's likeness. We too must be faithful. We must keep our word. We must be uh, trustworthy. We also too... Must not, church, be afraid to make commitments. I know that's, a, that's kind of a dirty word these days, commitment, right? We must not be afraid to make a ke- commitments, and we must honor and keep those that we make. Commitments to your friends. Commitments to your family, to your neighbors, to even your employer, to your church, especially to your God. And that brings us to gentleness. Gentleness is controlled strength. If you try to imagine that. The gentle one has mighty strength, but it's, but it's controlled. Imagine, all right, there's a few dads here. Is anyone dad? Dads? Yeah? We know what this means, right? You're, you're wrestling around with the boys. Do you use 100% of your strength? You've got a lot of strength in reserve there, but we pull way back uh, as to not hurt them, and that it's an enjoyable uh, ex- experience. The, the The dad wrestling with a young boy is, is mighty in strength compared to the little one, but he he pulls back his strength. Has anyone seen the movie uh, The Princess Bride? That's one of my favorites. I'm a lot of confessions today. We have time. <laughs> a lot of Princess Bride. Do you remember Andre the Giant? Remember that? I mean, the guy is, is huge. He's got like a hand, or he did, he, he's passed on. But he had a hand like a, like a tennis racket, you know. He's just huge imposing. posing. This massive, enormous man. But if you remember something about, about him, he had the gentlest spirit. He, he was just a, 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 very, a very lovable, he had this lovable, gentle heart. And, and everyone that ever knew him or spoke about him called him the gentle giant. Do you remember that? And that reminds us of Jesus because how much more power does Jesus have, and how much, uh, how, and how, and how, uh, and how gentle is is He? Think about that. God in the flesh, I mean, God Almighty. I mean, the one who can command the sun to rise and order the stars in the heavens, right? He welcomes the little ones. He tells the children to come to Him. He deals kindly with those who are suffering. He tells the lepers and the outcasts to come to him. Isaiah, he spoke of the Christ to come. Isaiah 42, 3 says of the coming Messiah, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. These are things that people would consider worthless and ready to be discarded with the trash. And when we come to Jesus, we have to understand uh, his, his gentleness. Because I mean, we often sin against him. And a lot of times we think that he's coming with a hammer to crush you. No, no. The Bible says a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He wants you to come, confess, repent, and turn to him so that he can pick you back up again. And restore you the Messiah deals, Jesus deals gently. Every time in the scripture we see, we see Jesus dealing. He deals, he deals harsh with the prideful, right? And he deals with amazing gentleness with those who are suffering, who are uh, sinners, who are, who are weak, are the outcast, or who are the least of these. He deals gently. But beneath all of that gentleness is the mighty power of God himself. Let me tell you this story. I know you know it. In John eighteen six, right? I love it. Uh, remember when they came to arrest Jesus? I don't love that he was, I mean, you know, Good Friday and all that. I mean, it was a good thing he was arrested, but I understand it's also kind of a bad thing at the same time, but there's evil and good working. But when they came to arrest Jesus, right, he's in the garden, and, and remember the soldiers, they came charging in with, like, torches and weapons. Like, they're they're after him like he's a criminal, like a, I mean, mass murderer or something. I mean, they're after him. And, and, and do you remember Judas betrays him with a kiss, right? And so they, 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 they demand, they're asking, uh, uh, they're seeking for Jesus. And Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember what happens next? Jesus said to him to them, I am he. And when he said that, just a little bit of his glory and power must have leaked out because those tough and war-hardened soldiers, those tough men with torches and arms, they fell back and fell to their knees. Just Just a glimpse of his power and glory and might brought all of his enemies to their knees. The word gentleness also has this sense of meekness, not being prideful or self-absorbed. Uh, the word is, al- is also, uh, the same word that we have gentleness here is, is translated in, uh, as meekness in Paul's letter to the Colossians. In Colossians three twelve, Paul says, Put on, then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But in today's sort of setting, we think of meekness as synonymous with weakness, but that's not, that's not the case. We would, be, we would do better to understand this meekness, this gentleness, as akin to humility, which can also be translated here. Humility is the direct opposite of our number one sin of pride. You remember uh, James 4, God opposes the proud, but so gives grace to the humble. You know, I, this also reminds me of, of the disciples. Yeah, they're, they, they're, they're, it's kind of comical sometimes to see uh, how they interacted together in the Gospels, right, before, before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit uh, really and in, in, in dwelt them and empowered them. Uh, but do you remember how they were always arguing with one another? Of, like, who's going to be the greatest among them? I mean, they, 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 kept, thinking, they kept thinking in worldly terms. We're going to set Jesus up as king. He's going to overthrow the Romans, right? We're going to have this great big old government. And they were arguing over who gets to be second and third in charge of this new government, Jesus, that you're setting up. You remember in Mark 9, they're having this argument between themselves. Who's in charge? Who's in second? Who's second in command after Jesus? And and Jesus, you know he knows what they're doing, right? And so he he asked them, so um, what were you discussing? On the way back there. And and in Mark 9, they all get really quiet because they had just been busted, you know, arguing uh, and being prideful and, and, and this. Or Luke 22, again, it's Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute, I mean, this argument arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Or, remember in Matthew 20, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, remember they sent their mom... They sent their mom. I mean, they were too afraid to just ask them themselves, right? So they send mom to go ask Jesus, Jesus, you know, will you make my sons to sit at your right and left hand? Uh, and, and, and you re- Do you remember what Jesus told, told them, told the disciples in that moment? He said, no, that's, not how the, that's how the world does it. In uh, Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, boys, you've got it all wrong. You want to be great in the kingdom? It doesn't look like what you think it looks like. It's the opposite of the world's rat race to the top, where the bite and kick and and claw your way to the top. Instead, it looks like humility and humble service and thinking less of yourself and thinking more of others. It it, it looks like putting your pride to death and confessing your continuing sins and failures before God and then asking Him to forgive you and to lead you in righteousness and holiness. It's caring more for the welfare of others than for your position and pride and ego and, a, and accomplishments. Now, and just think about Jesus. He, the, the highest of high, right? He humbled himself all the way, not only to become a man, but go to go to that cross and be humbled to a, a death on the cross. So that what? So that we may be lifted up with him. And that brings us lastly to self Control, And I think everyone here probably knows what self-control is. But I, I heard a story uh, this past week that kind of illustrates the idea. I wanted to share it with you. You see, a businessman had been ill, right? And he went to see the doctor. And the doctor told him that he was in the early stages of diabetes and that he needed to get a handle on his diet, and especially that, that sugar uh, and all of those sugary foods, But you know, craziest thing, the next morning he woke up, and he had this strong craving for donuts. And so he thought, I know I probably shouldn't, but let me just drive past the donut shop. And maybe just the wonderful, delightful smell of a warm and delicious donut would satisfy him. So when he arrived at uh, at the donut shop, he, he breathed this great sigh of relief, Because there were no parking spaces, so he wouldn't be able to park and and go inside. So he prays to the Lord, and he says, Lord, I know that you don't want me to eat donuts, but it's not your will for me right now. But just to be sure, just in case, I'm going to drive around the block. (laughs) And if no spaces open up when I drive around the the block, I'll, I'll know without a doubt that donuts are not in your will for me today. Now after making the block eight times, a spot, sure enough, came open and he parked and went inside. Now, friends, isn't that just like us? James would say he was lured and enticed by his own desire. He lacks self-control. His choice, his destructive desire was his alone. And this word self-control here that we have in Galatians 5 is, can you understand it as temperance? Self-restraint. The practice of restraining your impulses and desires. Getting a handle uh, over our fleshly, sinful, overindulgent uh, tendencies that tend to want to reign over us. Self-control over what We eat, not allowing our bellies to be our masters, or self-control over drinking too much alcohol that would take you into an inebriated state, or self-control over mind-altering drugs. These are things we understand as temperance, but also self-control has a lot to do with discipline and mastery over your emotions. Not letting circumstances impact your outlook in life or, or the constant difficulties of this world. Steal your joy. That's a choice. That takes self-discipline. These petty annoyances that so often cause us to, to jump out in impatience. Self-discipline. The fruit of the Spirit will help us remain patient and not burst out in anger. And friends, this is a practice. The, all of the fruits of the Spirit are, uh, are something that we grow in over time as we walk with the Lord. This is a practice that we have to work on. Uh, we have to uh, have this practice of self-discipline. I mean, you might see Paul liking it to the athlete to win the trophy, right? Uh, who, who will diligently spend hour after hour, day after day training for the match, but also mentally preparing the, to understand the competition and the goal and the strategies of victory, all in an effort to win the game. How much more for us Christians to to, to, to win glory for the king of kings and lord uh, of lords what a much greater prize we have offered there to us we christians must have self-control we are to die to self in fact the bible tells us and walk with god so in closing here what we what can we say what can we say about these, this list of Christian virtues, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, for one, as I said, we should be growing as Christians in each of these fruits. We should not say, as we'd be tempted to say, well, I have patience, but I'm just not a loving person. Or, I've got self-control, but I, there is no joy in my life. We should be growing in each one of these fruits. And with that being said, however, Jesus, our Lord, uh, he's the only one that perfectly bore each and every one of these fruits. He's our example of perfection. But we, even though we're redeemed and we've been released from the power of sin in our lives, uh, we, we still often fall into the same sins and we end up failing to, to show in our lives the fruit of the Spirit as we ought. But here is where we're tempted, and here is what I want you to really take away from our time this morning. The solution is not the one we always go to. Our natural instinct says to our, is, is to say to yourself, you're, in this conversation probably sounds familiar, self, I will try harder. I will do better next time. This is what we tell ourselves. Or we'll say to ourselves, "Self, you have no joy today. I will force joy to happen." It's kind of like forcing a, trying to force a kid to smile in a picture or trying to force you know, force your cat, tell your cat that she just loves baths. I mean, it's not in the realm of possibility. It's not in your realm of possibility to to force your squeeze out these fruits of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is a supernatural, not a natural fruit. So the solution we we must understand if you take anything away is to honestly examine yourself against this list of the fruit of the Spirit and then confess where your shortcomings are at. He already knows, anyways. It's not a surprise to God. You tell Him, Lord, I have been impatient. Father, I have been so burdened at, at, at work or in life or in sickness or whatever this that I have had, I have had no joy at all. I've been so stressed that 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 joy wasn't a factor in my. Life. Lord, help me. I, I've tried and tried and tried with self-control and I failed and I failed and I failed at self control. Lord, please forgive me for my failures to walk with you as you've called me to and as I know that I that I ought. Help me, Lord. Give me the supernatural power and presence of the Spirit to bear these fruits. Why? That you, God, may be glorified in and through my life, that my faith and my walk with you would bring honor to the name of Jesus. My friends, my brothers, and my sisters in Christ, let us put on the Lord Jesus. This is what it looks like when a Christian has put on Christ, Romans thirteen fourteen. We are walking in his, like a little kid walking in, the, in, his, in his father's giant footsteps. I mean, we're stumbling a little haltingly. We're striving. We want to be like him, but, but we, we're often not quite, you know, we're not able to do it all the time. We're not quite there. But when you, Christian, love when the world has nothing but hate, when you, Christian, has joy in the midst of suffering, when you have the peace that passes understanding. When you show patience instead of anger, when you show kindness to those around you, not expecting anything in return, when you walk day by day in goodness and righteousness in a world filled with, with, with sin, when you show gentleness and self-control, we the fashion of the day is greed and overindulgence. I want to tell you that the world sees and the world says, hang on, what's going on here? There must be something more about this person than meets the eye. I mean, what's the source of that? And why does all the stuff that I think is so important in my life leave me broken and empty and hopeless and in search always of still more? And it should be a witness to the world that points them to Jesus. Our living witness to the real indwelling power of God by the presence of the Spirit in our lives. Power overflowing and pouring out from the inner faith and right relationship with our great and good, glorious God. So let's say it together one, one last time. Galatians 5, 22-23... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your glorious word. We thank you for this time as brothers and sisters in Christ to come and, and, and look at your word. And, and Lord, that, thank you for revealing something of this wonderful truth to us today. Lord, we pray and we confess that we have often not shown all the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We confess our continual failures in, in that regard. We pray and ask that you would teach us not to try to just try harder on our own, but that we instead would cast our faults and failures at your feet, that we would come to you in genuine repentance and confess and ask you, Lord, that you empower us as your people to bear these fruits of the Spirit, Lord. We thank you for this church and all that you have done and continue to do and will do here We pray that you'd bless these people. In Jesus' name, amen.